Every day, a man wakes up and has to be carried to the temple gate because he's crippled. Every day, once he's at that gate, he begs strangers to give to him out of the kindness of their hearts. Who is this man? And what does he have to do with you and me? I'm Pastor Jason Barnett, and this is the Dirt Pastor My Podcast. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, 
walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, our key verse to helping us answer our question is verse 2, where it says, A man lame from birth was carried every day to the temple. But before we can understand why that is our key verse, we have to, we have to really analyze what he was doing, what he was expecting, and what happened to him. So, what was this baker expecting? Verse 3 tells us he, he was... After being carried to the temple gate, he doesn't actually get to go into the temple. He is carried to the temple gate and sat there. Now, we know that there's a lot of debate among scholars which gate was There's only one temple, but there are all kinds of gates to get into the temple. Now, we know this gate is called the beautiful gate, but no one really knows for sure which gate the beautiful gate is. My guess is it was the pretty one. But this man, he doesn't get to go into the temple because if he goes into the, the temple lame, he might be considered defiling it when he goes in. But he also knows that someone truly loves God, they're truly worshiping of God, and they said that he is sitting outside that gate, and if they're truly going in to worship God, if they look at him and love God, and they are going to give to God, they might look at him and have compassion. Because this is his livelihood. There, there are no government programs to help this man at this time. There, there is no special, you know, there's no reward for companies to hire him. And, and let's be honest, most of the jobs that he would do in this time period required having working legs. This man was crippled, his legs didn't work. So he's outside this temple gate, hoping that worshippers, as they come in, would give him money. So in verse 4 and 5, when he sees Peter and John coming towards him, that is his hope. He is hoping that these two guys that are coming into the temple at the, the, the hour of prayer there, that they would, they would recognize him, that they would see him, take pity on him, and give him some money. And I'm sure he got a little bit excited. He, he got a little bit optimistic because Peter and John look at him and they see him. It says Peter and John looked at him and said, that means they see him. And there's a look of compassion. That same look that Jesus would look at somebody and he would have compassion to move toward them. The, the beggar recognizes in the eyes of Peter and John. He's expecting Peter and John to give them money. He's expecting them to come. Peter and John say, look at me. And when he looks at him, after asking them for money, this is what Peter tells him. I haven't got that money. I haven't got any. I, I serve Jesus. I serve the Lord. I work for the church. I have no money. <laughs> if you're in this beggar's shoes, wouldn't that kind of take 
wind out of your sails a little bit. And I can in the back of your mind, you think to yourself, then why are you talking to me? Why are you here? You haven't got any money, so why are you talking to me? So Peter doesn't sit and go to this man and say, well, I haven't got any money. He doesn't stop at that part. He says, but I do have something. I do have something for you. And what I have for you, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. See, Peter and John understood something. That there is power in the name of Jesus. We sing songs about that, right, church? What a wonderful name is it, that there's power in the name of Jesus. Church, do we believe that there's power in the name of Jesus? Peter and John knew that. There is power in that name. And the miracle that Peter is about to perform, understand that he is not doing it by his own mind. Peter recognizes that it's not doing it by his own life and strength. This is not something within Peter himself. It's not a magical potion that John has. This is, this is power coming through the name of Jesus. And it's not the name of Jesus that has the power, understand. It's the who that name belongs to. I mean, if we believe the disciples that the apostles believe, that we believe like the apostles that Jesus died and rose again, that's, that means that we believe that the same Jesus who came and made the, the lame to walk again, gave the blind their sight, made the deaf to hear. And open the mouth of the mute. We believe that same Jesus is alive. And we believe that he can do the same miracles today. Right? Church, do we believe that Jesus is alive and can still do the same? Has, has his power changed? Has the, has the arm of God come too short? No. He's exactly the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is God in the flesh. And Peter and John recognize, they, they, they come to realize, they know that there's power in the name of Jesus, and that power comes from Jesus himself. In verse 7, it says, Peter takes the man by the right body, continuing verse 6, he says, In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. He's speaking to a man who has not been able to walk his entire life. He, he was born with legs that didn't work. And Peter is looking at him saying, stand up and walk in the name of Jesus. And before he even gives the man a chance to respond, Peter reaches down, grabs him by the right arm, and starts to pull him up. Peter is so confident in the power of Jesus, he doesn't wait for the man to respond. Imagine, he's grabbing a man who can't walk and is pulling him to his feet. Do you, remember, do, you remember, do you realize the risk involved with that? If he pulls this man to his feet, claiming power in the name of Jesus, and the man just falls on his face, everyone's going to doubt the power of Jesus. Everyone's going to question the abilities of Jesus. To be honest, they're going to do it anyway. But now they're going to have proof that Jesus is who he says. But Peter, he is so full of faith, he's so confident that he doesn't wait. He grabs a man by the hand and pulls him up. He's like, stand up and walk. Okay. 
Peter raises him up. And, as, and it says immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. This is the only place in, anywhere in, in the New Testament where we find these words used to describe feet and, and ankles. And that, you can kind of do that to who the writer of the book of Acts is. Acts is written by Luke. Does anybody know what Luke's job was? Luke was a doctor. And if you study, a, cool, a cool thing, if you study Luke's gospel, if there's something different about Luke's gospel as you study it. All the other gospels, and it talks about somebody who was lame, they refer to him as the lame man. Or the man who was blind. Or I mean, the, the blind man. The, 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 the mute man. The demon possessed. But Luke doesn't do it that way. If you read Luke, he'll he, he's a doctor. He sees it as a doctor. Sees it, he'll say, the man who was born blind. The man who was lame. Because Luke understands that the person is not defined by their ailments. They're not defined by what's wrong with them. Luke sees them as a person first, and then the problem they're dealing with, dealing with is a, something that's happening in their life that's not human ailment. So here, as this miracle is taking place to Luke, it's, I, I, I kind of see Luke as, as he's getting this information, putting this information together to share with, with the authors who, who he's writing Acts to and Luke to. It's really important to him as, as a man of medicine to understand physically what changed about this guy. And so he puts it down. Whatever it was that was, had crippled this beggar, whatever had kept him at the temple court, or at the temple entrance, it had something to do with his feet and ankles, and those two things were made strong in the power of Jesus. This isn't, Luke isn't just recording some generic miracle that some guy was in the wheelchair and stood up. No, he knows exactly, he, he goes to the, the medical issue. There was some problem with the guy's feet and his ankles, and when Peter said in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk and pulled into his feet, those things instantly, in a second, without hesitation, became strong. And the man was able to stand and walk. The beggar expected money. He received the healing power of Jesus Christ. What does the beggar mean? The beggar becomes something different that day. You see, verse 2 tells us, and this is why it's so important, it says, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. Every day, this man had somebody to come help him. His legs didn't work. He couldn't go anywhere on his own. He had no means to care for himself. But every day, he had somebody whether it was a family member, a friend, or some other person that, that, came, that showed him enough kindness to come pick him up and carry him to the temple gate. That's every single day of his life. Somebody came and picked him up and brought him to the temple. Because every single day of his life, he was unable to walk. As a kid, I'm sure he, he, would, he, would, he would watch all his little friends run around and playing and playing whatever games they played back then. But he couldn't, he couldn't participate. Whenever there was danger and threat, all of his friends were able to run away and get away from him. This boy, he couldn't. He couldn't do it for us. Someone had to help him. That's how he existed. That was his world. That's how he lived. Each and every day. 
day somebody had to carry him to the temple court, to the temple gate. And every single day he sat at that temple gate and he begged the worshipers as they were going in, just hoping maybe, maybe one of them will take pity on me. Maybe just one of them will, will put enough change in them for me to get to, from today to tomorrow. Every day of his life, this was his everyday routine. But not this day, was it? Every day of his life, including this day, he gets up and he's carried in his hippo courts because he can't walk. And then every day, and including this day, he's banging at the gate as worse person coming in. But this day, everything changed. This day, he was carrying that temple gate. But as he leaves today, he's not being carried away this day. This day, he is leaping and walking home. The power of Jesus changed this man's life in an instant. All those times where he went to the temple and he got money or maybe he didn't. All those became a distant memory in this one moment where he encounters servants of the Most High God, servants of Jesus, who have faith in Jesus' power. And Jesus changed his life to the point where this man who couldn't walk from the day he was born leaves jumping and walking. And not only does, does this you know, impact the man, but verse 9 and 10 tells us, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate. Everybody knew this man. They walked past him each and every time they went to worship God at the temple. They looked at him, they saw him. Some of them may have had compassion, and they didn't even have stopped and given him money before. But after this man encounters Jesus through Peter and John, they see him running and walking through the temple courts like nothing had ever been wrong with him. But they know this is the guy. They recognize this isn't a case of mistaken identity. This isn't some type of vision. They knew who this guy was. Some of them may have even carried them in there that morning. Some of them may have been planning to carry him back home, but now today they don't have to because of the faith of Peter and John in the power of Jesus Christ. And the power of Jesus changed this baby's life for me. See what this text is saying to us. That he, the, baby, the man, the baker, he went every day. Every day this man went to the temple. And every day he went, he expected something to happen. When I say he expected something to happen, I'm not saying that, that he was expecting Peter and John to show up and, and offering power, the healing power of Jesus. I don't think he was expecting that to happen. We don't know how old this man is at this point in his life, but I'm pretty sure by this time period, as old as he is, he's probably thinking to himself, this is just how I'm going to live and die. This is how I'm going to exist. <clears throat> but he would go to that temple every day. Expecting somebody that was going to worship God would have compassion on him. Every day he went there to, to, to get close enough. He couldn't go in, but he went to get close enough to where maybe God would move through somebody else and have a 
blessing. He went every day expecting that to happen. But while well, he did it every day, one day was the last day. He didn't know it was going to be the last day that day, but that day, when he got up and, and that person carried that gate and set it down, that was going to be the last time that ever had to happen to him. And he didn't even know. He was going through that routine just as he'd done thousands of other times. Oh, but this, this is why he kept doing it. This is why he stuck to that routine. This, this is what he had been holding out hope for. That something good would happen. That something life-changing would occur. What does that have to say to me? How does that impact our lives? If you put yourself, we have to put ourselves in the right position. If you want good things to happen in your life, if you want life-changing things to happen in your life, you have to continually put yourself in the right place for that to happen. So this routine that you're doing day after day, now, I'm not saying that, that you're, you're, you, know, you might not have to change something. I just had a whole sermon talk about it. It might be time for us to pull the 10 things. I'm not contradicting that, certainly. Okay? There, there might be some things in our lives that we need to change. But most of us, we know where, we, we are, where God's called us to be. We're trying to live out who God has called us to be. We're trying to draw closer to Him. We're, we're doing all the right things. We're, we're praying in the morning. We're reading our Bible. We're going to church every time the doors are open. We just keep going through this cycle, this routine, hoping in a way that something good will happen, that something life-changing will occur because we're doing that. That's putting yourself in the right position. When I say put yourself in the right position, I'm not talking about like a humanistic, let's pull ourselves up by our bootstrap and make good things happen in our lives. If you read the Bible, you'll see all the times where somebody tries to make it happen on their own, the, the, the devastation that it causes. So putting ourselves in the right position isn't necessarily going out of our way to do the things that, that we think are right. Alright? That's very important to understand. Putting yourself in the right position isn't based on you. It's based on you drawing close to God. The God who is good, the God who only does good things in your life. That's putting yourself in the right position. Putting yourself in the right position is, is drawing near to God. And drawing near to God is how? It's, it's reading your Bible. You want to hear from God? Well, how does he use your Bible? If you've never cracked open your Bible, you're probably not going to hear from him. I'm sorry. God hasn't spoken. And if you want to see how connected this book is not only to itself, but to your life, we will sit down and begin to ask questions. Begin, sit down and begin to read it and see how it all fits together. But believe me and Mary, we, we nerd out sometimes in our Revelation study on Sunday night because of how connected it all is. We'll read Revelation on Sunday night and we go home and read the prophets and we're like, whoa. That might as well be in Revelation. Who knows? Maybe you're dealing with something in your life. Maybe you're dealing with grief. Maybe you're dealing with, with stress. Maybe you're afraid. The Bible tells you how to deal with that. This is, this is God. This is the Word of God telling you. 
365 times, do not be afraid. That's how you want your God. You want to draw near to God? You want revival to come to this church and to your, and to your life? Read your Bible. Pray. If, if you don't want to make time to, to read your Bible, the very least thing you can do is pray. The most important thing you can do is pray. Sit down and pray for your homies. Sit down and pray for the needs of your loved ones. Sit down and just pray for people. Pray. Talk to God. And I'll have you praying in this prayer of you talking to God, but prayer is also God talking to you. If you want to draw near to God, put yourself in the right position for good things to happen, for life-changing things to happen, read your Bible and communicate with God through prayer. I don't, I don't know what it is about, about today and this time period, but it seems like we are so busy that none of us really want to take time to pray. We'll pray for two minutes as we're Maybe we're doing something where we're in trouble, but we don't actually sit down and, and set time aside to, to talk and spend time worshiping and, and crying out before God. And when we pray to God, it's, it's these fluffy prayers. We, we, we say the things that we think God wants to hear, or we phrase our request the way we think it will move God to act on our behalf. Do you realize you're not fooling Him when you do it that way? God knows your heart, and He knows your thoughts. There's no sense in supercoating it. There's no sense in making it pretty. Just be you. Talk to him. And talk to him honestly. Your spouse doesn't tolerate it from you when you're not honest with him. What makes you think God's going to be? Put yourself near to God. And those are, those are things we do in our personal life. In our personal life, we can spend time reading the Bible and praying and talking to God. Those are things you can do on your own, in your own life, to put yourself in the right spot for God to move. Do something good and life-changing. But do you realize that our Christian life isn't just a personal thing? It's not just a personal thing. Being a Christian isn't just about you being you by yourself. That's important. You make a decision to follow Jesus all by yourself. But when you make that decision to follow Jesus, you become a part of something much bigger than you. You become a part of the body of Christ. Each and every single Christian that has made a profession in Jesus is a part of the body of Jesus Christ. That means that our, that our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God, isn't just a personal thing, but it is also a corporate thing. You cannot follow Jesus and not go to church. You cannot follow Jesus and not say you belong to the church. This is, again, this is Pastor Jason calling you to church membership. That's not what I'm saying. Do I want you to become a member of this church? Absolutely. But that's not what I'm talking about. If you want to put yourself here to God in the right position for life-changing things to happen, for good things to happen. Not only do you personally got to put yourself in places to hear from God and be near to God, but you also have to do it corporately with the rest of the body of Jesus Christ. Some of you may know this, but the point that we've been trying, we were trying to come to the Kentucky District for a long time. I'm going to read a poem. 
That's an understatement. We were serving on the Pittsburgh district, we would watch the district assembly. For those that don't know what district assembly is, it is a business meeting. Y'all need to come. It's a three-day business meeting. Why don't you let me sell it before you... <laughs> I'm starting off with the business meeting part of it. They're, they're already saying, like, I'm not going to. It's a business meeting. Who wants to go? I've been to a board meeting fast, but I'm not going to go sit through a bigger one. <laughs> But we went and see what that was what was different about Kentucky. It was a business meeting, but when you watched online, you would see the Spirit of God move through the worship, through the preaching. You would see lives change in, in that room. And during that time, it was supposed to be about business and the business of our district. It was very obvious as allowing the Holy Spirit to work and move in our lives and the lives of our churches. And Nicole, as we watched, living all the way in Pittsburgh, we said, We want to be there. We want to be there where the, where the fire is at. We want to be there where the corporate uh, mentality, the corporate response is to worship and follow the Holy Spirit where he's going. Yes, we were doing all the right things in our personal life, but we want to be where it was when the church was hungry. And we were hungry to be a part of a church that was like that. Put yourself here to God by showing up at church. It's that simple. If you can't make it on a Sunday morning, guess what? You don't have any excuses anymore. Uh, you, can, you can go watch it on the Facebook page. But Pastor, I don't have Facebook. That's good. Don't get one. <laughs> Save yourself. <laughs> but you know, I also put the sermons on YouTube. I spend an hour and a half to two hours every week converting the, uh, the video file to an audio file. I upload it into a podcast thing so you can listen to it on any of your favorite podcast apps. And you don't have to listen to it on Sunday if you don't want. You can listen to it on Monday or Tuesday. So even if you're not here, you can still be a part of what God is saying to us through the study of His Word. Put yourself here to God and then expect something good and something life changing to happen. All these extracurricular Bible studies and kids groups that we have. And my, my favorite time of the week is Sunday, one of the Sunday nights, sitting down with this, little, this small group of people studying Revelation together. We're at a point in Revelation where none of us have a clue what we're talking about. And that's okay. We're wrestling with it together. We're seeking God together. And it's beautiful. There's a beautiful movement of God that happens in that room. Even though we leave with more questions than answers, we know we've been in God's presence and we've been in there together. So if you want something good to happen, if you want something life-changing to happen, draw near to God, both personally and corporately. Now some of you here this morning might be saying, well, Pastor, I've been doing all those things. I've been going to church. I've been praying and reading my Bible. I've been, been gathering with other Christians as often as I could. But yet, it seems like I just keep doing this, but, but why? Why am I doing this? Am I living out the definition of insanity? Should I just go be a pirate? 
My answer to you is simple. You're doing it because you know God's told you to. The God who is good and who only does good things in your life has told you to keep doing this and trust me. I know that's not a very comforting answer, is it? Pastor, you get up so you just want me to keep doing it, keep pressing on? I want to have one thing that's never give up. Never, ever give up. Keep doing it the way God's revealed to you. Keep doing it the way God's told you until God shows you a new way and a new way of doing it and tells you to go a new direction. Until that time, you keep doing it. You don't give up. You don't back off. You go at it 100%. You give God everything that you have in the direction that He's called you. You keep pressing on. You keep pressing in. You keep trusting. Because... Yeah, you might be doing the same thing every day, but you will never know when that last day will come. That beggar went to that temple gate each and every day, and he didn't get there by himself. Someone had to care him. He went each and every day, and he begged there until one day was the last day. And the Holy Spirit, through Peter and John, and the power of Jesus came and healed him and set him free on a new life path. And the same Jesus that brought that healing to that beggar, he is going to do the same thing in your life. No, I didn't say he might do the same thing. I said he will do the same thing in your life. I'll say it again. I didn't say maybe. I didn't say he, he quite possibly could. I said he will do it. But we have to keep trusting and pressing forward. We can't give up. Dear God, you know I got a little excited there. That's only because I know that there is nothing that you can't do. Lord, I know the old song says you've never failed me yet. And Lord, you know that that, that line drives me nuts because you're never going to fail me. You're the God who loves me. You're the God who is good and who only does good things in my life. Oh, stop allowing my frustration, my own goals, my own pursuits to, to allow me to get dragged down and doubt your goodness. Become weary and doing the good that you call me to do. God, help me to trust you. To trust you enough to keep doing the things that you have revealed to me. To keep reading my Bible, to keep praying and communicating with you. To, to assembling with, with a body of believers, whether it's here on Sunday mornings to worship you, whether it's for prayer, whether it's, whether it's for a Bible, so whatever it is, I just to watch a football game. Lord, help me not become weary of doing those things. Help me to trust you enough to keep putting myself where I am near you. Because I know your good will happen in my life. And it will change me forever. Oh, God, give me the strength to endure until that day comes. Until that last day. When the routine is done aside and upended and changed.
time for this week's 30-second takeaway. So many times we think the miracles of God, the big life changes of something good that God's going to do is this humongous, amazing, incredible life-changing event like you being lame made walk again. And, and God can do that. that you know, there's nothing that God can't do. But sometimes God changes us by changing us through the little details of our lives. So that routine you're going through, you may not be realizing this, but when you look back a year from now, you will see all the way God used each and everything that you did to change who you are now. Until next time. listening to this episode of the Dirt Pass Sermon Podcast. It was recorded live at the Greensburg Church of the Nazarene, located at 31 Bluebird Lane in Greensburg, Kentucky. Our theme song is called The Dirt Path, performed by Jeremy Edwards. If you would like to share a word of testimony with us or what God's been doing in your life, you can reach us at P.O. Box 215, Greensburg, Kentucky, zip code 42743. Or you can also find us at www.gbergnaz.com the Greensburg Church and Azimuth Facebook page or the Dirt Path Facebook page.